Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Before we get to today's episode, I just want to give a note to listeners that we talk about long-term illness. And though this conversation has a lot of laughter and hope, you know yourself best. Please listen at your own discretion. Edit audio. Hello, everyone. I'm Robin Hopkins, and this is Well Adjusting, where I talk to people about life stuff, but not in an NPR way. It's more like we're at the bar, having cocktails, getting into your business sort of way. It's it's giving drunk NPR. Oh, and producer Steph is here, too. Hello. Today we chat, well, dealing with a long-term illness. Hey, folks. So I'm just going to get into it today. All right. When we did a call out for season two guests, Mary, a woman I knew from college, reached out to me and said, I'd really like to be on the podcast to talk about adjusting to living with a major illness. Now, Mary and I had many mutual friends in common, but we didn't have a ton of direct you know, crossing of our paths, so to speak. But I've been watching her journey through cancer on social media. And I don't know, it's so strange that these days you may not see people or talk to them, but you can see their lives. Now, there are many negatives about social media, but I do have to say it has given me a small sliver of a window into how hard Mary's been fighting for her and for her family. So when she said, I want to tell my story, I jumped. There are many, many people out there living with long-term illnesses, trying to figure out their day-to-day, trying to figure out how to show up for loved ones or living with the pain, the anxiety, and the fear. But I'll tell you what, this is not a conversation of darkness, though there are dark moments. It's a conversation of a fighter. It's a conversation of a person declaring that they are going to live. And I am so proud to share it with you. Now, that is enough for me. Let's get right into it. I'm Mary Walton, and for the last 13 years, I have been battling breast cancer. And, you know, some days it's hard, some days it's okay, but, you know, it's been a rough road. But I'm here. I'm here. You are here. So you reached out when I did a call out for folks for the season. And I mean, obviously, the thing that you started with, you know, battling cancer for 13 years is is a part of it. But can you can you say in your own words, what what was the reason that you wanted to have this conversation? Um, well, I think that 
in life when you're younger, you know, you really think, oh, I have my whole life ahead of me. And you think everything's going to be positive. You know, I'm going to have a career and I'm going to have a family. And there's just so much excitement. And for me, I mean, it was going on pretty well for a while. (laughs) You know, after college, I went and got a PhD in psychology and started working in corporate America and, um, you know, had two kids and, you know, I was living the dream. And um, of course, I got married (laughs) in between there, too. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. (laughs) Anyway, by the way, you are not the first person to forget their spouse. We had an early in the season, we had someone who was like, I'm living with the love of my life, my dog. And I said, you may want to mention your husband. And she was like, right, right, right. So you're not the first. Um, anyway, so yeah, so you're living the dream and then all of a sudden you just hit a brick wall and you get this diagnosis and, um, just the title of your podcast is my life. You know, I just thought, my gosh, what a perfect thing to talk (laughs) about, you know, and some people don't like to talk about if they have cancer or if they've had cancer or if they don't like to talk about it and that's okay. I mean, that's just who they are. Um, I don't mind talking about it. I think it helps me to talk about it actually. Um, wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I will say that I'm not living my life. Like just, I have cancer, you know, (laughs) people have asked me like, how do you get through this? And I say, Every time I say the four F's have helped me through this, faith, family, friends, and Dr. Fox, who is my oncologist, who is amazing. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Fox. Can I can I take it back a little bit? Like, I don't want to, we've said this before in, in other um, episodes where we talk about, you know, emotional topics. Like we're not interested in grief porn and like getting in there and hearing like, and then what happened? But, but we do need to like set it up a little bit for people. So can you talk a little bit about how old your kids were and, you know, like kind of before and then the moment after? Yeah. So, um, my kids were really young. Um, they were two and a half and five. Holy crap. And so, and when I first got it, um, you know, they, they told me, okay, well, you know, it's stage one. And we, if we do chemo and radiation, we should be able to get rid of it and you'll be okay. So I was like, all right, you know, so that gave me hope, but, um, sure. what made me sad and the hardest conversation I've ever, ever had was, um, telling my kids who were so young and, and you know, the two-year-old's like running around, like yeah. not, you know, she doesn't yeah. know what's going on. Just in a pair of diapers, um, just throwing things all the time. <laughs> yeah, they're two. exactly. And we're, we're sitting at the table and it's, you know, Dave, my husband, me and the two kids. And, um, and the hardest thing was to say, you know, mommy has a, an illness, mommy's sick Um, and in order to get better, she has to take this medication and the medication is going to make her look sick. (laughs) Like to explain to a, 
two and a five-year-old that medicine is going to make you sick. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a really hard. supposed to make you feel better. Yeah. And I remember Dave had to say the hair part, the, you know, the biggest thing you'll notice is that mommy's going to lose her hair. And I just bawled. I mean, I, just, I was just crying. Yeah. I just, that was so hard. And then, um, you know, I said to my kid, you know, I said, especially the five-year-old, I said, you know, I don't want you to worry because. You know, the doctor said that if I do this, that it won't come back and I'll, I'll be okay. And cause they, you know, they didn't know what cancer was. They yeah. didn't know the word. They yeah. didn't know anything about it. So we just, we didn't even use that word. And, um, and then my five-year-old who was very intuitive <laughs> says to me, well, what if it does come back? And I oh. was like, Wow. <laughs> I mean, of course, I had asked myself that question many, many times. But for her to ask that question, I said, well, if it comes to that, we'll fight it then, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, how do you even answering that question when you are yourself like struggling with that exact same thing? Right, right. And nobody knows, even the doctors. I mean, they they, no one knows if it's going to come back or not, right? I mean, nobody knows. So I went through the worst probably year of my life (laughs) that time because they really hit me hard with the chemo um, in order to eradicate it or hopefully that first round was tough. I mean, you know, you just, you literally hit a wall and you can't, you can't do anything. And, and, and that's a hard age. Your kids are young. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of work for two kids under five or five and under. Yes. And I was, pretty much in bed. I mean, I think I would go like every three weeks for the chemo and it was like the first couple of days I was okay. And then it just would hit me. And then I felt awful until it was time to go back. <laughs> so it was like, Oh, I have one day of feeling good. And then I have to go back and do this again. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was really tough, but we have, we we're very fortunate, um, to have a, nanny or caretaker, whatever you want to call it, because I was working full time and she was amazing. And then my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, I mean, they were, they live close. I just had so much support. Yeah. Friends in the neighborhood. Um, shout out to Michelle. Cause she said to me right after mm-hmm. I got diagnosed, she said, do you want us to, um, set up a meal train for you? Or, you know, how can we help you? This is before I started chemo, so I didn't really know what it was going to be like. And um, I was like, ah, I'm all right. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I, I should be able to handle it. You know, <laughs> thank God she has, you know, she's stubborn too. So she's like, uh, no, <laughs> we're going to set up a meal train for you. It was amazing. We had three meals a week for five months. Wow. And I mean, it just was, it was amazing. And that's why I say, you know, how do you get through this? You know, one of the F's, friends, family. It was really, really awesome to have that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, friends. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think you are going to like. Okay, Bill Burke is the host of the weekly podcast, Blue Sky, where he interviews individuals tackling the world's most significant challenges with hope and optimism. Sounds right up your alley, right? Exactly what we thought. All right, it's brought to you by the Optimism Institute, which was also founded by Bill, to sprinkle a bit of positivity on your view of the future, especially with the media often showing us just the gloomier side of things. On Blue Sky, you're going to hear optimism about topics on everything from climate change and AI to homelessness and immigration and more, and they're offering diverse perspectives. You're going to finish each episode feeling brighter about the world and optimistic about our collective future. The name Blue Sky, well, it's inspired by a meditation prompt symbolizing the idea that beyond the clouds... There's always blue sky, encouraging a broader perspective. The Blue Sky Podcast is available for listening on all major podcast platforms, inviting everyone to look beyond the clouds and embrace a more hopeful view of the future. I'll tell you what, I'll be listening. I went through the treatment, you know, I started feeling better. I thought, okay, everything's good, hopefully. But one thing about cancer, like once you have it, um, anytime that you have like a bump, a bruise, yeah, oh, my leg hurts, uh-oh, anything, oh, crap, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just like yeah. There's just I imagine a strong fear that it's it's still in there or it's coming back. Absolutely, and everybody says that. I mean, everybody says yeah. that, and that is a really hard thing. And then I remember one of my nurses um, early on. I said um, after that first, you know, chemo, that whole treatment stuff was over. That first year, I said to her, "Well, now what do I do?" You know, yeah. I mean, I feel like at least when I was on treatment, I knew that the cancer was being killed, you know, but when you're not on treatment, like what's going on in there? I mean, you don't know. About a year after treatment was over and everything, um, I started feeling this lump under my arm and my arm started feeling really, um, it was almost like. You know, if you have a, a tight rubber band around your yeah. arm or your hand yeah. or whatever, and it's it's just feeling like numb. And I was like, that doesn't feel right. And so, of course, you know, you jump to, oh, shit. Yeah. It's happening, you know. And unfortunately, I went in to the doctor and he confirmed that it was there. And so... um. That was probably the second worst day of my life because- Because you're just um, out of treatment. Well, I had been out of treatment for about a year. Okay. So um, so my hair grew back. I was all, you know, back feeling like, yeah. okay, I'm back to normal, da, da, da. 
Um, and the thing about the cancer that I have, there are so many different types of breast cancer. And I happen to have what's called triple negative. It's the most aggressive type. And I read that if it comes back, then your chance of survival is like very small. And you could, you know, basically live for maybe two years. And oh my God, so, that's not something you want to read. No. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. So that's the dumbest thing I could have said, but I said it. It's out there. No, it's true. It, and actually, my doctor after that um, was like, stop going on the internet. You know, he was like, <laughs> he's internet yeah. bashing. He's like, stop it. You are going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. And he said, just because it says that doesn't mean it's going to happen for you. You know, let's just treat this and move on. You're going to be okay. Just Let's just go with it, you know. So when we found out, you know, that it had come back, I mean, that was just, Dave and I were just so upset. I mean, telling our kids the second time, <laughs> I was like, well, it did come back. And, you know, I, I think that... <sighs> It's been really hard for them. Yeah. And I always told myself and I told Dave and I, I've always said, you know what? I am going to live for them. I am going to fight like hell to be here for them. And yeah, um, didn't think I was going to cry. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but they are now... Uh, 18 and almost 16. And my daughter oh my is my 18 year old's going to college next year. And I, I'm just so happy that I made it, you know, to yeah, see them grow yeah. up and I was here for them. Yeah. Take a breath, take a breath. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about the kids? You know, I'm a parent too. And I just, I'm, I'm just thinking about how I mean, obviously there's the will of just like, I'm going to be here for them, but like, there's all the psychological stuff that's going on. Like you said of, of like, is it going to come back? Oh, now it's back. Like that alone without children would be difficult mm -hmm. because you're trying to be like, I've got to fight. You've got to remain positive when you feel shitty. So like you're having to do that. And then at the same time, you've got to like bring yourself over here. And then you just have to be the mom that shows up at practices and class things and PTO and maybe not show them or show them how you're feeling like all of that's happening. So how did you pull that off? Um, well, emotionally, um, I'm heavily medicated. <laughs> so that helped. I'm on like antidepressants and anxiety meds yeah. to this day. I mean, I just, well, we'll get into that later, but, um, Physically, so interestingly, the first round of chemo was really, really hard. It was harder than the second round yeah. and the third round and the fourth round. <laughs> oh. So the second medication wasn't as bad. So I was able to do more. Um, yeah. I tried to make it. So I was going to lose my hair again, you know, which is like, ugh, Damn it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, when I say lose your hair, you lose all of your hair. And yeah. I mean, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no, you know, yeah. everything. 
And that makes you look sick. I got my eyebrows tattooed on at one point, (laughs) which was awesome. (laughs) But anyway, so the first time I knew I was going to lose my hair, I had long hair. And I said, you know, Dave, let's make this kind of fun. (laughs) Let's have a haircutting party. And (laughs) so, so my niece is a hairdresser and she cut my hair and we did this all in my kitchen. But we had just had family portraits done and our photographer was, I I was telling her about it and she's like, oh, do you want me to come and take pictures? And I'm like, sure, (laughs) why not? (laughs) So we had, we had balloons, we had cake, you know, and, um, and so when I was sitting at the chair, you know, getting my hair cut, um, she put my hair into two ponytails and she let Alexa, my younger daughter, cut one and Malia cut the other one. So they thought that was fun. Yeah. And so we laughed. I mean, so we, you know, we made it into something that wasn't so scary and so awful. Yeah. The second time I said, all right. How can we top that? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I'm always trying to find positive things in anything. So I got like, you know, five different colors of hairspray. <laughs> and um, I invited, <laughs> we invited the neighbor kids over <laughs> and my kids. And I sat outside and I said, here, go for it. <laughs> and they sprayed my hair. So I came out with like, you know, like red and orange and blue, you know, all these different (laughs) colors in my hair. It just maybe makes it a little less scary for them. I don't know. Yeah. And it just made it fun. You know, I mean, we had you have to laugh or I did not everybody, but um, because everybody deals with it differently. But but I I just felt like, you know what? Okay, (laughs) this is happening. It sucks. Let's do something to lighten it, you know? So in general, was that your path with the kids that you were like, I may have to give them this news, but I'm going to try to find some positive moment in it? Yeah. At first, we we decided, Dave and I decided, okay, let's not use the term cancer. Mm. Um, and I kind of was like, I, I'm not going to show the kids my feelings. Like when I'm, when I'm upset or if I get bad news, you know, I, I'm just gonna, yeah, okay, it's gonna be fine, you know, and even though I'm like dying inside. And um, it doesn't work. So when I first got it, because I had um, lymph nodes taken out of my arm, my armpit, um, my arm was really sore. And I mean, I had drains, and it was just really, really painful. Yeah. And the kids thought that I had arm surgery and I just kind of let them go with that. And they were over at their friend's house. Their parents knew and said something to the kids, which is normal, you know, whatever. And um, they said, oh, my mom hurt her arm. Uh, And they're like, no, she didn't. She has cancer. And they were like, what? Yeah. So I was like. Oh, shit. (laughs) You know, so they came home and told us that. And I was like, okay, change a plan. (laughs) You know, we need to tell them everything. (laughs) Because with kids, if you hide something from them, they pick up on that. And then they could think it's worse than it actually is. 
That's a really good point. So with the kids, I remember, I mean, as young as, I guess my younger one, she might've been four when I got it, you know, when it came back and, um, I mean, she understood, but she didn't understand. Right. So, but she understood a lot more than I thought she did because I was, I remember this, like it was yesterday. I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and she was in the bathroom with me standing next to me. She was getting ready for bed. And she said, mommy, I can't do this without you. And I said, what can't you do without me, honey? I can't live without you, mommy. I I just can't. And I was like, oh, oh my God. God, she's four years old. And, you know, just. And I, you know, it's hard. It's so hard for them. Yeah. It's still hard for them. So I was like you know what, we got to change this. And so we sat down with the kids and we said, okay, well, mom, you know, I did have surgery and my arm does really hurt, but I have this thing and it's, it's called cancer. And so we had to explain, you know, what cancer was and everything. Um, so the other thing was that, so I go, um, I go for CAT scans every, well, it was every three months and I would get really, nervous before a CAT scan because again, you don't know what's going on in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, at first I tried to hide that from the kids and then I was like, you know what? No, they need to know how to process emotion and what is appropriate emotion. Right. And so if I got bad news, you know, I tended to not show them that I was upset. Yeah. Again, I learned, nope, you know, show them you're upset. It's yeah, okay to yeah. be upset. Yeah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So it sounds like you had many touches with cancer over the years. And so your experience changed, but also like your children are very different ages and like Mm -hmm. can comprehend different things and you can have conversations with them and communicate with them in different ways. Um, So I guess I just kind of want to know timeline wise, when did you feel like that shift happened where you were like, oh, I have to let them in on this more? Do you remember at what stage you were at or how old they were? Um, and also, where are you at now? Like, what is the now picture look like yeah. with them? 
where I am right now is I've been on a treatment break for two years because the treatment worked really well um, to, you know, uh, suppress, I guess, the growth of the um, the tumors. Um, and so, you know, I'm doing really well. Um, knock on wood. <laughs> as far as I know, I'm doing really well. So about, I don't know, a year ago, um, I was still having the CAT scans every three months. And every time I'd get a CAT scan, I would get more and more anxious. And I felt like I could only live my life for three months. And then yeah. I had to adjust to whatever, you know, answer I got from this CAT scan. So I felt like I was adjusting every three months. And that's so yeah. hard. I mean, it's just like, can I go on a trip? Well, I don't know, because I might be on chemo then, I, you know? And so I went in to get my CAT scan and Dave was with me and he said to Dr. Fox, um, you know, she's getting so anxious about these CAT scans. And they have a term for this it's yeah. called scanxiety. <laughs> and um, it, it is real, let me tell you. Yeah. And that's when I really need that medicine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so my doctor, in his wisdom, says, well, how about we do them every six months now? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, because then that's scary. Like, then you don't yeah. know for another three months, you know. But we tried it. I was not nervous. I mean, I was a little bit anxious, but I wasn't as anxious as I was with the three-month time period. Yeah. And I think it's because I could plan, you know, I could live my life yeah. knowing what my life was going to look like, you know? Yeah. So even if, even if like, let's say next time I go in to get a CAT scan and it's, you know, oh, you have to go on back on treatment. Well, at least I know what the next six months are going to look like, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, can I ask you this question? So you mentioned like what you do for yourself. Like one, you you seek medication, which is super smart um, to make sure that you can help with your anxiety and, and depression. What other things do you do for yourself to like, like that sounds like that was a very smart move to to recognize that every three months was just too much emotionally. So you switch to six months, even though that gives you a little bit of anxiety, but it gives you some room to breathe. But like yeah. in your day to day, what, what do you do for yourself to help yourself live for lack of a better word? Because it sounds yeah. like you're always like trying to start living and then fucking yeah. cancer smacks you in the back of the head. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been a doer and a creator like I yeah. like to make things. And so I learned how to do like woodworking and I learned how to um, do renovation stuff in my house. So oh, I, I love that hardwood floors and I, you know, put what? up trim and yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you're sitting in the house, because you can't really go anywhere when you don't feel good <laughs> and you're sitting in yeah. your house. And you're looking around, you're like, you know, I want to update that. All right. I need some more yeah. cabinets or, you know, <laughs> and 
I'm like, I wonder how you do that. So I'd go on the internet and I'd go on YouTube and somebody would be there showing you how to make a cabinet. So I was like, all right. So I got the tools and with tools, you can do anything. And you made cabinets. And I made cabinets. That was my first thing. I love that. I love like this attitude, though. I feel like you come into life with this like, nope, I'm going to do it. And it will it will get done. And that is so cool. Whether it's like cabinetry, whether it's finishing a round of chemo, whether it's whatever, you're like, nope, this is my thing. I'm doing it. Watch me. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I think that's really inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know, the physical part, um, it's not I'm not a hundred percent back to normal because a couple things have happened because of the treatment. So my lungs, um, I have some damage to my lungs because of the radiation. Yeah. And then I also have lymphedema in my left arm, which um, it's not too bad, but I have to wear a sleeve, you know, but I try to, and and Robin, you were asking me what else I do. I actually play tennis. Oh, amazing. And, you know, I'm just trying to, I am trying to live my life like it's normal, you know, and I, yeah, yeah. I try to go to my kids, um, you know, every event that they have. And, you know, I mean, I think our relationship is like a typical, you know, teenage girls and their mom. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably a lot because um, you talked so openly and honestly about it. I'm curious, did the did the family at any point, like, did the kids do therapy or did you feel like that was necessary or needed or anything? Or was it just like you were so open, everything felt like it was out in the open? No, we've done therapy. Um, they've done therapy. We've done therapy. We've done it together. They've done it separately. I think that they, they know that they have a different home life yeah, or, or they've had a different home life. And they definitely express it differently. So, for instance, my older daughter, um, mm-hmm. when she was in fifth grade, she she did not want to talk about it. Like, she would avoid it at all costs. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, we kind of worried about that. That's part of why, you know, therapy came in. But then she wrote, she had to write an essay in class. And all of her feelings came out. Mm. And right after she wrote it, I remember we were sitting at the kitchen island and I was sitting there and she brought it over to me and she said, do you want to read my essay? Which she didn't always do. And I said, yeah, "Yeah, I'd love to read your essay. And it was about, um, you know, she had known, I guess, a lot of people um, like her classmates, grandparents or so-and-so dying of cancer. And one of the last lines that she wrote was, hopefully my mom will not be next. Oh. Um, Another time I was doing a new treatment and I came home and I was like shivering and shaking. So I was having this reaction to it. So I called my doctor right away. And, you know, he said, okay, take some, you know, Benadryl and that'll calm it down because your, your immune system is overreacting. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, I'm shaking. I have coats on and my kids had just come home 
And Alexa, my younger one, immediately ran over to me and said, Mommy, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm just really cold. I'm really cold. And she brought me like blankets and, you know, all kinds of things to put on me. I mean, I was covered in like, <laughs> you know, 20 blankets. <laughs> and Malia, she's my older one. Um, yeah. She avoided the situation yeah. because I don't think she was, com- I know she wasn't comfortable was with much. it. And she- yeah. it was too much. And I know yeah. it's okay. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I don't want her to think, oh, you know, I wish she had come over too, because that it's just different. And and you know, my point is yeah. that the kids yeah. kids are different. And so you kind of have yes. to yeah, use your judgment it. and on how to yeah. On how to how to talk to well, them. Well, you know, Mary, I, I do want to say, um, we interviewed somebody in season one and her mom died of cancer when she was young. And mm-hmm. she was still it was a decade later and she was still massively massively processing and one of the reasons was because no one talked about it in her family and Mm. i i just want to say like hopefully it doesn't sound wrong but i'm so proud of you because i can't even imagine as a parent how hard that must have been to be so honest and to go through all that but you did all that for your kids and and oh, you managed you. to give them some something as normal as you possibly could in very trying circumstances. So I think you should be incredibly proud of yourself. And oh, I think you. you did a wonderful, wonderful thing for them because, like I said, she's still really struggling. And it doesn't mean your kids, you know, won't have their struggles too, but they may right. have so many more tools to handle it because of what you did. So well, I hope so. Many props to you. The biggest thing that I hope my kids learn from this experience is that, you know, life can throw you a bowl of crap, right? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? You, You can lay down and let it hit you in the face, or you can maneuver yourself and, you know, do the best you can try to be positive. I mean, I, I certainly have bad days where I feel really depressed or I feel really tired or whatever. Um, but you know, I, I just, I just hope that they learn that they can get through anything. Like if, if I can get through this and they can get through this, then they can get through anything. The other thing is the spouse, um, like the caregiver, in my case, Dave, you know, he, he's been such a big part of this too. And, um, really haven't talked about him very much, but you know, they've done a lot of research and stuff on how this impacts the caregiver and, you know, cause his life is disrupted as well. Um, because he doesn't know. I mean, when I say, I don't know what my life's going to look like in three months, he doesn't know either. Yeah. Like we're both very controlling, like we like to control our lives and our worlds. <laughs> and for two people who who were like that, it, this is, you know, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. To someone who's starting a journey that you are on, what mm-hmm. advice would you have as a person, how to take care of yourself as a parent? What wisdom could you impart? One thing that comes to mind is 
when you're picking your doctor, make sure that not only do they they know their stuff clinically, but that they are compassionate and that they have good bedside manner. Um, And I say that because I went to get a second opinion when it came back because, you know, I had read that, oh shit, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to die. And um, (laughs) so I, I worked for a pharmaceutical company. They do research on cancer. And so I reached out to uh, one of the doctors and I said, what doctor can I get a second opinion from? And he said, you know, this guy up in Boston, he's a really top researcher in this area with triple negative cancer and blah, blah, blah. So we made an appointment. Um, We get there and he was very nice, but he basically told me that I should get my papers in order and what? that, um, yeah. And he didn't say, cause you're going to die soon, but he might as well have, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I was pissed <laughs> and I, yeah. sometimes I, I don't say anything, but I, I was like, oh no. And I said, you know what? I said, you don't know when I'm going to die. I said, I could walk out here and get hit by a bus. Yeah. So no, you can't tell me that. And I said, I understand the averages, but let me tell you something. I'm an outlier. Good for you. So then I went back to my doctor and I said to him, because he had never, ever said that to me, ever. And I said, well, I got my second opinion. And it just reassured me that you're the best doctor in the whole world. <laughs> and he's like, I learned early never to say that to somebody because if a doctor says that to you, sometimes you believe it and then you live it, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, you give up hope. Yeah. Hope is so important. Exactly. Yeah. So some advice that I would give <laughs> to people is if someone ever says that to you, a doctor ever says that to you, you know, no. Maybe I wouldn't have been the outlier, you know? I mean, I happened to become the outlier, but I I could have been the average. But don't tell me that. Yeah. What I'm hearing is regardless of the outcome, you're advocating for yourself. And I think that is like, first of all, very powerful, especially to do in a, a time where you don't feel very powerful, maybe, and in a setting where you're not the authority in that setting, right? You're like right. sitting on the bed or whatever, and the doctor's above you, and they're like, I am the being of all knowing, and blah, blah, blah. So to me, that's very powerful that you were able to, you know, stand up for, stand yourself, up for yourself and yeah. advocate for yourself and, you know, tell the doctor what you needed and then go back to your doctor and be like, yeah, I need you. Yeah. And that is so cool. Yeah. Normally we have these conversations and I feel like Robin and I do our best to sort of like talk through an issue that someone's experiencing or presenting. But I I really feel like this one, like everyone that listens to it will come away learning a lot from you. So I think so, too. Thank you for like sharing this, first of all, and being strong enough to share it and much respect and and admiration for you. Yeah. Thank you. And we're sending all the love to you and your family to continue healing and to continue living because that's really that's really what you're doing and it's it's incredible. 
So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. You are so welcome. It's my pleasure. You have reached the well-adjusting expert of the day. Today, we've got two very special experts of the day. Here are Mary's daughters, Malia and Alexa. Hi, my name is Malia. And I'm Alexa. And we're just going to be giving some advice to both parents and children who are kind of in our same situation. So we're going to start off with any advice we have for kids that are in the same kind of situation and going through the same thing that we've been through. I think like one big piece of advice I would have that it took me a while to learn is that talk to your sibling about it because I know that both of us, since we were so young when it happened, didn't really understand what was happening and how to process it. But I think it's really important to kind of go through those emotions with your sibling if you have one or a friend or a family member of some kind, just because they're going to understand what you're going through because they're also going through it and it helps to feel less alone. Yeah, like to add on to that, I remember when I was in like third grade, I had one of my best friends and I would talk to her or FaceTime her maybe on CAT scan day because I had a phone at a pretty young age, but I would FaceTime her and just having someone in your community and your like everyday life at school just to like maybe just exchange a look or just them to be able to know what you're going through and for them to like make your day better in a way has really helped me. Yeah, and then the second thing is for parents, kind of just keeping it positive and less of a looming thing that's over everyone's heads. Yeah, I remember when we were younger, my mom had these hats to like keep her head warm and we would call it her like pirate hat and we would like run around like pretending like we were pirates with her hat on and like just being able to be a child is one of the most important things and like letting your child still have fun. Yeah, I think it's really easy to get caught up in all the negatives and kind of worrying about your kids and how they're going to deal with it, but in a way that almost makes it worse because you don't want to hide things from them because that can be really scary when you already don't really understand what's going on. If you find out like that they're keeping something from you, even if it's not like a really big deal to you, I think just being open and honest really helps with accepting what's going on. And just like, Remember for parents to not let your family drift apart because it's really easy because you're all going through something so deep. Yeah, a big thing for us that have helped with that is during the scan week, like the week before our mom gets her CAT scans, that's the week when we're all kind of going through a lot of emotions at once. And it's hard to remember that you're not going through it alone and that everyone in the house is going through it. And it's also really easy to take it out on each other. So I think one thing that's helped us Um, with that is having more family time like that week and really trying to focus on spending time together rather than the result of the scan. Yeah and just like understanding what your kid is going through too because I remember when I was really young going to like my friend's houses and like seeing just that their moms have like long hair and they weren't like tired or sleepy all the time it was kind of confusing for me to think like why can't my mom be like that and just like being open and honest with your kids, but also like if they're at such a young age, maybe trying to filter it a little bit because it's such like a harsh topic for a little kid to learn. Yeah, it definitely took us both a while to understand and like actually fully realize what the situation was just because when you're so young and that's all you know, you don't really realize how different your experience is and your childhood is because of that, especially compared to like 
your peers or your friends. So sometimes even really small things can almost like trigger that a little bit. It definitely helps to have like as much information and as much family support as possible just so like you don't feel like you're alone like you're not the only one going through it the whole family is kind of in it together yeah and just knowing that even though it's so hard when a young kid is going through this that it will provide them with so much more like emotional um stability stability yeah (laughs) because I know especially for me and my sister we've been able to be really emotionally like mature in a way that a lot of other girls our age might not be but it's just like being able to handle your emotions better and just understanding what you're feeling is really important yeah I think the first step towards that is just accepting it Mm -hmm. and saying like you know what like I can be upset about this all I want but it's happening and it's not my fault it's not anyone's fault and there's nothing you can really do except for accept it and process it Once you do that, I think it's a lot easier to kind of live with it and accept it as a part of like something that happened, a part of your childhood and a part of like your family dynamic. So I think that's why it's so important to be so open about it with each other, because as soon as you know that you're not alone, it's a lot easier to process the emotions that you're going through because you're surrounded by people who understand that and are also going through those same emotions. Okay, that's it for today, folks. But before we go, I want to say so many thanks to Mary for bravely sharing her journey with us. And thank you to Alexa and Malia for your wisdom, your emotional intuitiveness, and for sharing all your learnings with the other folks who may be struggling. For more Robin, and you may need that, you probably don't need it, but like if you do, you can follow me at RealRobHops on all the platforms, all the socials, as the kids today say. Well Adjusting is an edit audio original, exec produced by Steph Colburn and Robin Hopkins. Thank you to Maria Passingham, Kathleen Speckert, and the whole edit audio team. Oh, hey, before you take out those AirPods, this show is just for entertainment. If you are in need of help, please, please, please reach out to a professional. Go ahead and get that help. You deserve it.